you have your Bibles, you can open them to Mark chapter 1. Last week, this week, hopefully the next couple weeks, I thought it would be fun to end 613 by camping on some passages that have been inspirational, instrumental in my life, and particularly within the 613 ministry. And as I think back over the last 10 years, the different times that I've come up and spoken in 613, when I was the college pastor, when I was the high school pastor, and I was the 613 pastor, Mark chapter 1, we did a series called Storyboard. Were you guys here for that? Matt Lund came out from Pixar, talked to us about storyboarding. We walked through the book of Mark. Ryan did a lot in that series. Mark Campbell, me, uh, Joe Kosky, Tyler Scott. Great series. Everyone was great but me. But Mark chapter 1, this passage that I got to preach near the beginning of the series, at the end of the chapter, was one that I found home in because it really described and reminded me of times in my life when God had done miraculous things in me and through me and around me. And also was a passage that, this is kind of embarrassing, but that over the last like eight years or six years since we did that, I kept that recording. And whenever I'm in a time when I'm going through something hard, I listen to myself, preach that message to myself, and I'm reminded uh, how God calls us to engage with the world and disengage for a while. And so tonight will be a different sermon than my original Mark 1 sermon, but we will be in the same text, Mark 1. I don't think it's plagiarism if it's yourself, but still, new sermon tonight, Mark 1, we'll read verses 35 through 39. Just some context as you turn there, I'll read verse 32 through 34. Jesus was in Capernaum, and it says that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons know the demons speak because they knew who he was. So crazy night of ministry. And then verse 35 here. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions were, went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let's pray. Let's pray tonight. And we'll dive in. Father, tonight we look at our own lives and sometimes we feel so busy we wish we can get out and spend some time with you like Jesus did. And so much hectic stuff in us and around us. And, and sometimes we lift our heads up and we see what's going on in the rest of the world and, and we're humbled and reminded that people in this world are going through way harder things than we are. Our hearts go out to the people in Paris, France tonight and people in Beirut, Lebanon tonight, and people around the world this week, so many things, especially Friday, just so many bombings and terrorist attacks and shootings and incidents and theaters and funerals and town squares and all over the place, Lord. This world is hurting, and our hearts go out to the victims in these various regions. We pray that you would bring hope. We pray that you would mobilize your people in those different cities and countries to bring healing and support and hope. And 
We think even tonight of the folks in Middletown that we were able to come alongside and help in their fire a few weeks ago. And we pray that you would continue to bless them, support them, and, and use the church and people around them to bring them hope. We pray the same thing would happen in, in Western Europe and Eastern Europe and all over the world um, where people are suffering and struggling and homeless and fleeing from danger and on one hand, we thank you that we get to worship here in a place where we don't feel the, the constant pressure of death or threat like that. And yet at the same time, we pray that we would not grow numb to the fact that around the world, uh, people are suffering and struggling. And we pray that you would show us how we can act, show us how we can pray and pray specifically. And that We pray tonight that, you, that your name would be made holy throughout all the earth, that your kingdom would come. That your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And day by day you'd give us what we need. Forgive us of the sins that we commit and make us a people who forgive others. Let us not hold on to grudges, but let us forgive freely as we've been forgiven freely. We pray that as we walk and serve you in life, that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from the evil one. Lord, as the early church prayed, we know that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The last few weeks in my home have been a little bit hectic. Um, you guys know we have four boys at home, four boys, nine, seven, five, and three. And about two or three weeks ago, the last week of October, we were able to add two girls into our household. We've been trying to adopt um, for the last year or so because we thought, man, four is not enough children to have in your house. And uh, so we have become proud foster parents of two beautiful eight-month-old girls. I think we have a picture. Um, a few weeks ago, this is our growing family. Me and Jessica, Jackson, Carter, Hudson, and Brady, and the two girls whose names I won't mention because this is on the internet. So uh, we are proud foster parents right now, and don't take a picture of that and put it on Facebook or else we'll be arrested because that's how foster parenting works. So take that picture down. That's our beautiful family. And one, a lot of people have come to me and said, this isn't like a Danny, you're amazing, but this is more like a Danny, we're so sorry for you. Danny, how do you do it? Like, how do you stay awake and alive? How do you have six children in your home and you're not tied up, you know? And how are you feeding them? Are you feeding them? Uh, those kinds of questions. And so uh, tonight the sermon won't be on parenting. But here's the secret that we're going to apply to Mark chapter 1 in a moment. The secret that I have learned in order to manage a household with eight of us living there right now. And here's the secret. It's life-changing. If you don't have children yet, write this down. If you do, you know the secret. The secret of raising children is this. This is the biggest secret. Wake up before your kids do. Wake up before your kids do. How many of you agree with that if you are a parent? Wake up before your kids do. There are two types of ways to wake up in my home, right? And if you are a college student and you got a lot of classes and classwork and homework and tests, or if you are a working person, you got a lot of deadlines and stuff at work going on, you've experienced these two things as well. It's not just with children, but there are two ways to wake up in the morning. Number one, in my house, you can wake up with someone screaming in your face right? You hear crying like it's a baby crying, right? And you're like, whoa, and you're awake, and you look at the clock, and it's like 6.45 in the morning or 5.45 in the morning, and someone's crying, and you think, okay, I'm up now, and you get woken up that way. It's the worst way to get woken up because you're not ready. You're not prepared, 
right? Inevitably what happens, you wake up and it's 5.45 or 6.45 in the morning. You stumble into the baby's room and there's a baby screaming. And with twins, there's two of them. And they're just screaming at you, right? And so I don't know if you've ever tried to care for two babies at once before, but you pick one baby up and the other one is screaming. And then you're trying to figure out, how do I pick up this baby with one hand? Which is actually kind of a hard thing to do. And pick up this other baby and they're both screaming in your face. And you walk down the stairs. This is one way to wake up. You walk down the stairs like, I need to make bottles for these babies, but if I put them down, they're going to scream even louder and wake everybody up in the house, right? So you're like, shh, 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 right? You're trying to figure out how you're going to get up in that cabinet to make some formula or whatever. And, and so then you're like, wait till one is really sweet, and you put it down, and you go up and you make, what? Nope, I just dropped one. Uh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And as you're doing it, the other kids start coming out of their rooms and like, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I pooped somewhere, right? Dad, I, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, and everyone's screaming at you and everyone wants something. And you're thinking, okay, this is what my day is going to be like now, right? And it's not just if you have children, right? If you've ever had a day where you're like, I've got so much to do, but I'm so tired. And then all of a sudden you this boop, 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 boop. Like, oh, and you wake up and it's the alarm, you're like, whoa, and you got to just go, and like, it's like the day has hit you like a truck, you've gotten blindsided by the thing, and you're thinking, I don't want to do this, I want to go back to bed, and I don't want to wake up, I want to hide, that's one way to wake up. The other way, which I recommend, is getting up before your kids wake up, and I had a, an opportunity last week, I woke up, somebody cried at three in the morning, and I'm like, whoa, and I'm like, okay, I'm awake, I'm awake, it's 3 a.m., what do I do? I'm going to get ready for my day, 3 a.m., right? And so I go downstairs, and <clears throat> it was a wonderful time. Uh, I made the bottles. I put them on the counter. I ground the coffee and got ready to, like, brew the coffee the moment my wife wake, woke up. I started drinking coffee after coffee after coffee, right? I, I emptied the dishwasher. I washed the bottles that were in the sink from before. I made my kids lunches, and so when they came downstairs, it was ready. I made breakfast burritos and wrapped them in foil, right? I felt like I was a catering service um, because my goal, my goal, and then actually jumped to my computer. I did my emails from work just so I was like on top of it. So my goal was like I was going to like get in the ready position for parenting, and the moment, boom, someone cried, I'd be like, hey, what's up? Good morning. I got a bottle for you, you know? And my kids come downstairs like, oh, daddy, we're hungry. It's like, no problem. There's a breakfast burrito wrapped in foil right there. Just go ahead and eat your heart's content. Put your lunch in your, in your backpack and everything's good, right? That's the better way to approach your day is, is to get up before your kids wake up. And you know the same thing. You, we've read this passage a hundred times probably. And you read it, you think, you know what? Jesus has the right attitude because he comes off a crazy night of ministry, right? Everyone needs him. Everyone wants healing and help and, and, and service from him. And he's praying for people and he's casting out demons and he's, he's healing the sick and he's doing amazing things deep into the night. And, and we don't know what happened at the end of the night if the people finally stopped coming and he finished or if the disciples were like, all right, all right. The Savior has to sleep. You guys get out of here, right? But what, something the disciples and Jesus went to bed. They're sleeping probably in Peter's mother-in-law's house or something on the floor. And, and the next morning, Jesus wakes up. And I'm sure, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm sure he had the realization, okay, everyone's going to be here soon, right? The, the people, the line of people that I was healing is not getting any shorter. As the word got out that Jesus was doing great works of healing and miracles, the word got out, right? And so people from the neighboring cities started bringing their sick and their demon-possessed and their loved ones who were struggling to Jesus. And so Jesus, at some point in the middle of the night, wakes up and realizes that if he's going to spend time with the Father and prepare for what's next, 
he's going to have to do it now, right? Because Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived, right? Jesus could have just rolled back over and said, what a crazy night, I'm going back to bed, wake me up when the crowds are here. But that's the craziest way to wake up. And so instead, Jesus, and you can feel his humanity in Mark chapter 1 here, Jesus, early in the morning, while it was still dark, the disciples apparently were sleeping still, and he gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes off to a solitary place where he prays. And we read this passage, and we think, man, that's what, that's what I need to do. You know, when life is kind of gets ahead of me, and, and I'm blindsided by work, or what, I, I need to get up earlier, I need to spend time with the Lord, and so I can approach my day head on, right? I need to be prepared. Even if it's three in the morning, I got to get up, spend time in the Word, spend time praying, and then attack my day, and then approach my day, and then go after my day. But what I see more than anything else in this passage that strikes me is not that Jesus withdrew and went away from his day for a while before the morning started. What I see and what strikes me in this passage is that after spending time with the Lord, Jesus didn't come back. You ever notice that? And we read this passage, we think, man, I gotta have my quiet time in the morning. This isn't the quiet time passage, right? This would be like if I woke up last week at three in the morning, I thought, man, I need to spend some time with the Lord. And so I go up on a hill somewhere and I'm praying and God, what's next for me? And he's like, okay, that's good, God. And praying and praying and praying and the sun comes up and the birds are chirping and my kids are crying at home, but I don't know, right? And my wife wakes up and she's like, oh, Daniel, take care of it. He's out of bed. But then I don't do anything. So she starts going around the house like, where is Danny? All the kids are screaming and there's poop everywhere, right? This is a crazy scenario. No one made the bottles. What's happening here? And she can't find me anywhere. And what happens in this passage is that Jesus, after he goes and prays, Simon and his companions go to look for him and they find him and say, where are you? Everyone's looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Apparently the crowds came back and they said, we're here to be healed by Jesus. And they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, wait. Where's Jesus, right? And everyone's like, well, we need Jesus. Like, where's Jesus? And they go and find him. So it would be like I'm sitting up on the hill. My wife is looking for me, and finally my cell phone rings, and Jessica says, Danny, where are you? Everyone's screaming, and you're off praying somewhere. And I would say, I'm not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord has told me that it's time for me to go somewhere else. You know, Palm Springs, maybe. And maybe like Tahoe for a little bit. For that's, that's why I was sent to this earth. Right? This isn't the classic passage about going up, having your quiet time, and re-engaging in your day. This is the passage about getting up, engaging with the Lord, and realizing that whatever in your life you were in, you're not going back to anymore. Good stuff. Right? This isn't Jesus after a night of partying and drunkenness going away and praying and saying, I can't go back to that lifestyle anymore. This is after Jesus spending a night of bringing miraculous healing to an entire community, prays and says, you know what? I'm not going to heal those people anymore. I'm not going back to that place. I need to go somewhere else. And this passage does teach us the practice of getting away and spending time with the Lord, but This is a passage that wasn't Jesus' just daily quiet time. It was Jesus having a wrestling match with the Lord that ended up with him deciding to leave an entire needy city in the dust and move on to a new needy city. That's different. I've had a couple experiences in my life where where this passage has really applied to me, and they've always been when I've gotten away, just, just like this. 
There's something about when you get away in the morning or when your life is busy and you spend time with the Lord, sometimes he's going to just pat you on the back and say, go on back into it. You got this, buddy, or whatever. Sometimes the Lord's going to say, listen, thanks for meeting with me. I want you to be done with that craziness, right? And in those times, the Lord makes it clear, and that's what he did to Jesus. I remember the first time this happened to me, I, I, I told you this story before. I was down in San Diego. I was a new Christian. I was at UC Berkeley and visiting some friends at UC, Dave, or UC San Diego and and I had this experience where I, God brought me into this conversation with a buddy who was living in sexual sin, and God used me to bring him counseling and biblical advice and prayer in the midst of it all. And I walked away from that, and I felt like the Lord was saying, when you get back home from San Diego, you're not going to be a businessman anymore. I want you to be a pastor. I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's not me, that's not me. And then the next morning I went to church and I heard this guy preach in front of thousands of people and his message was called, Follow God. Pretty simple. (laughs) And I walked away from that worship service and I felt for the first time in my life, God was saying, when you get back home from San Diego, I don't want you to go back to your business degree. I want you to be a pastor. And, And while I was away, away from everything, away getting away from the craziness and busyness of the life, the Lord met me and said, when you go back, go back to something different. Remember a few years later, I I was working here. I was serving as the college pastor. It was ten and a half years ago, right before we started 613. I was the college pastor here, and I decided to go to a retreat and kind of get away from the busyness of work for a little while and, and spend some time listening to preaching and this conference that I went to. So I go down to LA to this conference, and for some reason I decided to go take a walk by myself. And in the midst of this conference, work here was great. I loved my job. I was a new married guy. I loved doing college ministry. And in the middle of this walk, out in the middle of this college campus, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, it's time for you to quit your job and go somewhere else. Go to school. Finish your theology degree. And like, whoa, God, I just got this job. I never thought I'd get a job as a pastor at a church. They trusted me with a ministry. Are you sure you want me to quit? And I called my wife, who I thought was going to be like the Holy Spirit shutting it down for me. Because my wife had told me, like, listen, don't ask me to move. I'm not moving. I love my friends, love my family, whatever. So I called my wife to talk me out of it. And I said, Jessica, I'm here in the middle of this college campus, and I've been praying. And I feel like the Lord is saying it's time for me to quit my job at Three Crosses and, and move away and go to Bible school. And she said, sounds good, let's do it. I'm like, no, no, right? Where are all the checks and balances in my life? I remember at one point when I was the high school pastor here, it was when I came back from grad school, I, I, we had this season of ministry that was just insane. There were so many kids coming, and it was crazy, and they were throwing stuff. And I remember having some conversation with some Christian kids in our youth group. We said, man, I love the fact there's so many non-believers here, but it's hard for me to learn anymore because I keep getting hit in the head with spitballs and stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, right? So th- after a crazy night of ministry, so many kids everywhere, I... I decided to go on a walk. I woke up early in the morning while it was still dark, and I got out, and I prayed, and I said, God, what's next? And, and I remember Jesus' words in this passage where he said, let's go somewhere else. I'm like, well, if I go somewhere else, it's going to scare all those kids away. And then I felt like Jesus was saying, you know, I often scared people away. And so I looked in John 6 where Jesus scares the crowds away, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And everybody's like, Okay, well, go ahead and do that, zombie man, right? And so uh, I thought, you know what, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell our student ministry staff that what we're doing after this week is we're going to go somewhere else and we're going to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. And that's what we're going to do, right? And so we did this series called Worship the King, and we started meeting in homes all over Castro Valley, and we would worship, and we'd do communion together. We didn't really 
eat flesh and drink blood. It was communion. We do communion together, and we saw amazing things happen as uh, some of our student leaders got a chance to lead other people to Christ and tell them about the significance of communion and about worship. And it was this amazing experience that was all predicated on craziness in life where I thought, you know what? I need to go spend some time in prayer because life's getting a little bit out of control. And in the midst of that prayer, feeling like God was saying, it's time to go somewhere else. If you're feeling overwhelmed in your life and you got so much going on, it is a good practice to wake up early, get ahead of stuff, right? Get your emails done, get your Bible read, make your formula, whatever you do, right? Uh, and, and get a good start on your day, right? Early to bed, early to, ri- to rise, the Bible doesn't say, but I think Ben Franklin said or something, right? Good advice, right? That's great. Reading the Bible and praying in the middle, in the morning, good advice. The Bible does talk about that. Do that, but what we see in this passage is not Jesus having a quiet time and then having better energy for his day. Was, it was Jesus getting away from all the craziness and in the midst of his clarity with the Lord felt like the Father was saying, it's time for you to change what you're doing down there. Sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness of life, we just keep doing it over and over again. We're like, oh, I can't get ahead. And we get up early, we get our stuff done, then we go after it. Then we get up early, we get our stuff done, we go after it, go after it, go after it, go after it. And then a few months or a few years or decades down the road, we turn around and say, what have I been doing? What is this stuff I'm doing? I've had just working so hard. Why do I work so hard? I just, I just go and go and go, and I'm trying to get more and more and more, and I'm trying to save for this and this and this and Why, though? Why? Why? Sometimes getting away from it all reminds us that we get so caught up in the what we need to do and the how we're going to do it that a lot of times we lose connection with the why we exist on this planet. Right? When Jesus says, let's go somewhere else, the next sentence is not, let's go somewhere else to the nearby cities because I'm sick of these people. He doesn't say, let's go somewhere else because I can't take another day in this crazy city. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for that is why I was sent. And Jesus knew why he was sent to this planet, and he knew that why he was sent to this planet was to go establish a gospel presence in every tribe and neighborhood in Israel and tell the world who he was and then be killed for our sins, raised to new life, march to his throne in heaven and start to reign from there. He knew why. And so when he was in Capernaum doing great stuff, it was great stuff. And anyone else who could look onto Jesus' life and say, that's great stuff, they would say, that's great stuff he was doing. But Jesus had this stirring in his soul when all the good stuff was happening in Capernaum that even though he was doing a ton of great stuff, he wasn't accomplishing why he existed on this planet. Which was not to be a sage on a stage, right? Or not to be a, a guy in Capernaum just sitting there waiting for people to come. But he was sent to be sent into the cities and bring his name and his presence and his kingdom everywhere. He was sent to go, not to stay. Now we can start kind of working on the individualization of like, what's my purpose, God? What's my, the reason I'm on this planet? And that's, maybe that's a good thing to do, but if you want to start somewhere... We all know why we're on the planet. The Bible tells us that we exist on this planet to bring glory to God. We exist on this planet to make his name great. We exist, the will of God is that we might be a holy people, to reflect him well, 
to love him, to love our neighbor. If there's a, a mission God has given you, it is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is why you're here. You're here to bring glory to God, to show the world who he is, to love him, to love your neighbor, and to make disciples of all nations. That's why you exist. So the question that you need to wrestle with and I need to wrestle with on a constant basis is this. Is the what of my life fulfilling the why of my calling? Is the what of my life fulfilling the why of my calling? And God does not call all of us to be professional missionaries in other countries or pastors at churches. God has called us and appointed us to be people in every industry, in every city, in every tribe and Tonga nation all over the place. But we all have the same why. That if you are in industry and a business, God has called you to be his disciple there, to bring him glory to there, love him and love others and make disciples there. If he's called you into a workplace or called you into the college or called you into a relationship or called you into your home or called you wherever he's called you, he's called you to bring him glory, love him, love others, and make disciples in that place. And so constantly we need to disengage from the what we're doing and ask God, how am I fulfilling the why I exist in the what you've called me to do? Because there's a way to make copies to the glory of God. And there's a way to make copies to just pass the time all day. You know what I mean? Like you can go to work and just go through the motions and go 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 go till you die. And you can go to the same job and do the same things with a different perspective and it makes all the difference. And some of you, when you disengage with life for a minute, you get up early, you spend time with the Lord, he's going to say, listen, I've got you in the place I want you to be, but I want you to be thinking about this while you're there. Open your eyes to the people around you for the conversations and, and the love that you can put on people, the relationships you can build. Open your eyes to those things. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for the students who sit alongside you in classes. Pray for the kids that you're raising in your home. Pray for these people. Love these people. Serve these people. Look for opportunities. He might tell you that. And he might say, hey, um, it's time for you to do something else. You've been doing this for a long time, and it's time for you to do something else. I met with a guy this week who said, man, I've been working in industry for a long time, but I feel like God is calling me to do something else, and it's crazy. And I don't know how I would do it. And I said, well, let's, let's pray about that. Let's lean into that. It's so important that you get up before the day starts and spend time with the Lord and Get focused on why you exist on this planet. And sometimes he'll call you to go do something totally different. And other times he's going to call you to go back and do the same thing, but with a renewed attitude, with a renewed mindset, with a renewed mission. Last week, after three weeks of insanity in my home and waking up at 3 a.m. and getting bottles made, uh, I realized that life was a little crazy. (laughs) Somebody had asked, hey, how do you find balance? And I, I started to tell him, oh, you know what? I woke up at 3 a.m. the other day, and I did all this stuff. And, and I realized, that's not balanced. That's insane, right? There's a crazy what I say. And I, what I realized, and I've kind of noticed this at every stage of life, is that when new chaos enters into your life, right? You get a new job, or you get a new school, or you get a new baby in home, or you get a new relationship, or you move to a new city. When new stuff happens, your whole routine just goes out the window, and eventually you've got to take some time and say, okay, God, How do I serve you in this new life that you've given me for this next season? And so I realized that it was not enough for me to just get up at 3 a.m. and make bottles. That was not going to fulfill my calling in this world. 
What I needed to do was do what Jesus did. I needed to get up while it was still dark, leave the house when no one was crying, and get home before they started crying. That was the hard thing. And, and not to make bottles, not to do emails, but to pray and say, God, this is my new normal that I'm living in. How do I serve you in this normal? Where, where does my devotional life with you fit into this new stage of life you've put me into? God, when I go to work, if my work schedule needs to change because I've got six kids at home, how, how do I change my work schedule to be greatly effective and serving at work? And how do I do what I need to do at work but also be present at home when I'm home and all those kinds of things in this new season of life you've brought me into? God, how, how do I do friendships in this new season of life you've brought me into? God, how do I get my emails done in this new stage of life you've brought me into? How do I keep my perspective on you when life is crazy in this new season of life you've brought me into? Because it was not enough for me to just wake up early and get my stuff done before the crying started. At some point, I had to say, you know what, I need to figure out the why behind all this what. Oh, why, why do I have six children in my house? What is the purpose of me doing that? And God, why, why am I a pastor at the church? What, what have you called me to do in that role there? God, why am I going through this relational issue that, that you might be going through? Where am I going through this sin? Why is it so hard for me, God? How do I engage with you as I come out of it, God? I've just stepped out of this, out of this terrible background, and I'm now I'm in this new place, God. So how do I build new relationships here, right? We've got to think about the why so that when we come back and do the what, we can do it with purpose and significance. And so, somebody said once that Jesus was the most purposeful person who ever lived. And I, I think they were right. And he knew what God's mission was for him. It included dying and rising on our behalf. and included bringing his name into all these different cities. and included loving people and being present with each person that he was with. He knew that. And, and when life started getting out of kilter, like, it did for Jesus when so many people were coming to be served that he was about to get swamped from underdoing, undertaking his mission. Jesus got away and said, God, I know why you've put me in this earth. How do you want me to accomplish it? And so when the disciples showed up and they said, Jesus, it's time to go and heal Capernaum, he said, ah, nope, this is hard, but let's go somewhere else. I'm not going back to those hurting people. Because God's called me to those hurting people and those hurting people and those hurting people. And Jesus knew that someday every tear would be wiped from every eye, that there'd be no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. But that day was not yet. The day that God had put Jesus in was a day when he would go from city to city and usher in his kingdom a little bit and give them glimpses of who he was and give them a taste of the kingdom that was to come. I don't know what your life looks like. Maybe you're in a really easy season right now and you're just coasting. And maybe if that's true, you need to get out of that for a second and say, God, why am I in this season? Why is my life so easy? God, give me something to do. And for the rest of you who are busy and whose life is crazy, it's so important that you disengage with the craziness regularly and not just to stay on top of your stuff, not just to stay connected with the Lord, but to constantly ask the Lord, well, why am I doing this? Why do you have me in this school right now? Why am I in this job next to that person right now? God, why am I living in this neighborhood right now? You want me to move? Or you want me to love my neighbor and show them who you are and bring the gospel to them? If you can stay connected with the why you exist, it makes the how and the what so much more meaningful and fruitful and God-glorifying. 
And tonight, let me pray for you and pray for myself that God would help us to stay connected to that why. Let's pray.